0: Welcome back to the Register Roundup for this week, commencing Monday, the 17th of August. And we've got uh, another great show this week lined up because we do have uh, a couple of absences from the virtual studio crew. Uh, The nicest, most efficient person in the organisation, Barbara Ruiz Alonso, is uh, still on holiday this week. It's also her birthday today. So happy birthday, Barbara. Actually, no, it was her birthday on Friday, but happy birthday, Barbara, uh, from the Roundup crew. Hope to see you back next week. And of course... uh, Um, uh, The other missing member of the Virtual Studio crew is uh, Nick Bruce, uh, Head of Business Development, the voice of reason, as he's known. Um, He's off today because, uh, interestingly, um, it was also his wife's birthday on Friday as well. So hi, happy birthday to Kelly. Um, lord knows she must have put up with a lot frankly having to live with not just Nick's busy schedule but also uh, the, the weight of presenting a podcast every week so thanks Kelly we really appreciate your support happy birthday to you but in the studio this week we have our very own Dr. Evil of Brexit uh, CEO of R in the UK and uh, Head of Product in Europe John Kernan morning everyone And joining us this week in the studio, we have a very special guest. It's Kevin Demeyer, who is joining us to shed some light and cast some insights into the Luxembourg fund industry and the impact of Amir Refit. And Kevin needs no introduction. If you work in the Luxembourg fund industry, you'll know Kevin uh, from his work at Alfie, where he co-chairs the SFTR working group with our very own John Kernan as well. So, Kevin, welcome to the show. Hello. But of course, this is a financial services podcast and anything could happen in the next 20 minutes. So we need to read a disclaimer to keep our compliance team happy. And this week, I am going to try a new level of complexity and read a disclaimer while I play the banjo. This podcast is sponsored by Registry-R and features members of the Registry-R team offering their personal opinions. It's not intended to be taken as any form of legal, tax or other professional advice, and there's no representation made as to the accuracy or completeness of the information, nor does it necessarily reflect the opinions of Registry-R as an organisation. And it's straight over to our very own Dr. Evelyn Brexit, John Kernan, CEO of Registry-R in the UK. What's been happening on the Brexit front this week?
1: Okay, so we've got quite a big Brexit update this week. Four different main elements. Uh, Firstly, it's feedback from a German minister. So Germany's European affairs minister, Michael Roth, says the UK must be more realistic and pragmatic in its future negotiations with the EU. He stressed that in the geopolitically uncomfortable post-corona world, good and trustworthy partners are all the more important. Okay, so the next piece of news is that the UK government's going to spend up to 355 million on a new system for moving goods into Northern Ireland from Great Britain. Because, of course, Northern Ireland will continue to comply with EU rules for agricultural and industrial goods after the end of the Brexit transition period, whilst the rest of the UK will not. In addition, most of the UK will leave the EU customs union, whilst Northern Ireland will continue to enforce the EU customs code in its ports. Therefore, from the 1st of January, goods imported into Northern Ireland from the UK will require customs declarations and the new systems therefore necessary. The Trader Support Service will see the government effectively acting as a customs agent on behalf of companies. The TSS is expected to be operational and free to use in September, with further details in due course. Next, the UK International Trade Secretary, Liz Trust, met with US counterpart Robert Leithizer in Washington as part of the third round of future negotiations to reach a trade agreement between the two countries. However, the meeting ended without major progress as differences of opinion between the two countries remain, for example, in agriculture. Leicester also said that a new agreement with the UK would be unlikely this year. And then finally, um, some interesting statistics. Since the Brexit referendum in June 2016, many British citizens have left the UK to emigrate to Europe and apply for citizenship of an EU country. This is reflected in the figures published by the European Statistical Office and the Organisation for Economic Cooperation and Development. Most of the British citizens emigrated to Spain and France after the Brexit referendum. In Spain alone, 380,000 British citizens were registered. In Germany, 120,000 had been granted German citizenship, which is an increase by 2,000% between the referendum and the end of 2019. And that's it for this week's Brexit update.
0: Kevin, I'm interested. I mean, what do you make of the Brexit situation? Uh, as far as I mean, we I suppose this is predictable, right? People are leaving, especially if they work in the financial services sector. I'd imagine so they can, you know, uh, relocate into the, the the largest FS market, right?
2: I, well, London remains, I think, an important financial hub in in the world and in Europe as well. That said, yes, uh, a lot of the banks, because of fears of not being able to provide services in uh, the EU 27, have moved some operations to European countries, from Frankfurt to Paris um, and other parts as well. And with that, of course, there's also the need to have the human capital that follows. And I think a lot of people have indeed... Uh, taken advantage, uh, and John just gave the statistics on on Germany and France, uh, that's definitely a result of what we've seen. Uh, even Luxembourg has benefited from it uh, with, uh, for example, uh, one uh, major investment bank putting their stock lending operations in Luxembourg.
0: Now, talking of uh, brexit just well just just to linger on the topic because we we do tend to drag it out with our crystal balls each week and and take a bit of a look at it and, and i 'm interested in the sort of fund industry perspective here because presumably funds are going to be facing a lot of disruption um, from the fact that they 're about to have various sort of regulatory changes and and sort of transitions to to work through if they 're going to continue trading. Um, across the EU and the UK and the various sort of markets that intersect around that as opposed to just being uh, uh, sort of having, having to trade within the EU?
2: So, um, so I think in the beginning, uh, a lot of investment funds and, and managers went in with the idea that nothing really would change because there would be a quick equivalence. As we are progressing and uh, the latest stage of the negotiations seem to show that there will be some discrepancies, we've seen that with uh, with EMIR and how the FCA has interpreted some of the rules around EMIR. We see it with the announcement that they've made on SFTR and how the reporting regime will be different um, for SFTR in the UK compared to Europe. And we've also seen it with another big part of legislation, which isn't really linked to to trade reporting, but, but with CSDR, where the UK has said that they wouldn't implement settlement discipline as it had been intended to be implemented into the EU27, so um, that equivalence seemed to be um, become more of a, a wishful thinking, really, than uh, a reality. And people are starting to get worried about that. You see that uh, the previous movement of, of financial services firms going into into Europe also means that they can uh, pr- further service their clients out of the EU27.
0: So, moving on, I guess, into a bit more on that. I mean, you've been chairing the um, uh, SFTR working group for Alfie. And, <laughs> of course, we have a big date coming up, don't we, for SFTR? Because in October, then the, the buy-side reporting has to start. So the the sort of Wave 3, Phase 3, It's it's got a few different names. <laughs> but basically, uh, 1 and 2 have gone live, and it's been a huge success. So were you surprised with how smoothly things have gone, given the heavy disruption and the delays. I mean, the disruption of COVID and, and the, the delays uh, to, to implement that, that were sort of brought in by by ESMA to adjust for that. Are you surprised how well things have gone with SFTR? And should we expect things to go as smoothly come October?
2: I, I don't think I've been really surprised. SFTR has been a focus area of a lot of investment for of banks, since since the beginning, since 2016. And I think it's, it's time uh, that... Also, the implementation came, Um, regardless of of what happened with COVID-19 and and the disruption to the normal operations. At a certain point, everyone wanted to move on and and get it done with so they could go on and do other things, which they also needed to to implement and prepare for. So uh, the fact that it's gone live, I think, is a good thing. Uh, I am not... Really surprised by by how well it's it's gone uh, because of the focus that it's had. Um, will it be the same for the funds industry? I think we can expect something similar. Really, uh, most funds are getting prepared, and first of all, either working with their counterparties to uh, ensure that they can delegate reporting or find a delegate. Um, there's a number of uh, fund managers and management companies who have decided to do this in-house. Uh, as well. So they're they're making preparations. Nevertheless, I think it's also important to state, and that's also a question that I've had from uh, a couple of, of participants in, in the group and, and uh, people in the industry, there will be no delay. Uh, it's not because phase one got delayed that uh, there will be a further delay uh, in terms of, of phase three. Um, and the, the second point I think which is important to mention, and it's been a huge relief uh, both for the phase one and phase two players and that will be also for phase three is the, the fact that the backloading uh, doesn't need to happen anymore. I think there were a lot of operational constraints there and a lot of worries. And for me, that's something that uh, was very uh, helpful and beneficial in, in making sure that phase one and two in June went well.
1: Andrew, I think I think um, I mean there are a number of interesting things there. One one of the things maybe to pick up on that, that Kevin mentioned the dynamic there that um, funds um, very often get themselves ready by um, working with their counterparties, and that's that's something we we saw obviously with EMIR because because if you're a manco, if your funds, you obviously have an inherently close relationship with your custodian, who's Typically, providing you fund accounting services, obviously the custody services in some cases, securities financing, etc., etc., etc. So there can be a tendency to delegate um, because uh, because that's perceived as easier. Um, What we did see um, with EMIR um, was um, that. For some entities, you see, when when you delegate, you still retain the um, legal responsibility. So you have to have a mechanism to to oversee what's reported on your behalf, and and to demonstrate to your regulator that you you know you've got a, a, a proper um, compliance function in place, if you like, monitoring this. And for some entities, in order to do that, they almost reach the tipping point where they think um, actually it's going to be more efficient if we report directly. So I guess there are there are different options um, for for the mancos to pursue, and, and, and we do see um, a range of different reporting models coming from them.
2: Um, so uh, indeed, with, with AME refits uh, over at a European level, we've seen that uh, since a couple of months, the management companies are, are responsible for the AMA reporting. For SFTR, it will be the same thing for the funds that they manage. In Luxembourg, we actually had a, a bit of a preview on that because already um, in, in 2018, the CSSF uh, put out a circular where they said that the management company was now responsible for the, the IMU reporting on behalf of the funds. So um, I think from a from Luxembourg perspective, the management companies got to, to grips with that. Uh, and, and at the European level, uh, we see that, that there's a, a shift of focus, if you will, from this is something that the banks do and, and they do, and, and we don't need to uh, pay too much attention to it, to uh, a real overview of, of due diligence, of um, ongoing due diligence as well. So not only uh, when when they start onboarding a counterparty, is how can they perform this reporting well on our behalf, but also uh, continuous checks and, and monitoring of the quality of the reporting that's being done. As, as John mentioned. It's not because you delegate that you uh, don't uh, remain fully responsible for all elements of the reporting, so being it right and also being done on time.
1: So go, going back to what Kevin said there about the CSSF um, circular, I mean, what, what we saw uh, register there is a corresponding increase in requests from these entities to open non-reporting entity accounts. So that's a that's a low-cost read-only account that they can use uh, to, to, to monitor what's, what's being reported on their behalf by their counterparty.
0: Now, that's probably quite a good time to say that Head of Financial Law at Market Finbrek, Seb Malik, an old friend of the Registry Roundup and a guest many times, he has uh, been working with Registry on putting together a uh, Wave 3 training package. For SFTR, and he should know what he's doing. He's also the author of the SFTR Survival Handbook. And uh, yeah, he had this to say
3: SFTR transaction reporting is due to go live for the buy side shortly on the 12th of October. This means thousands of pension funds, insurance companies, USITs, alternative investment funds, and their management companies, Mancos, from right across the European Union and beyond will be obliged to file daily transaction reports for their repos, buy-sell-backs, prime brokerage, margin loans, and securities lending or borrowing. 155 fields spread across four XML tables, 10 action types, and a complicated nexus of interrelated conditional rules has understandably led many to label SFTR as the most complicated reporting regime ever. Management companies will face particular complexities, for example, establishing beneficial ownership, Mancos will have to source a large volume of static data, jurisdiction of issuer, underlying collateral, its credit rating, but to name a few complexities. Even those who delegate will still be required to provide extensive data and collateral reuse calculations. Many firms will be finalising their testing, but it is equally clear that many more are some way away from completion and will require help. My firm, Market Finreg and Regis TR have been at the forefront of aiding the industry. Our award-winning SFTR course, available both online and due to COVID-19 via live WebEx instructor-led sessions, has proved wildly popular. Hundreds of clients, ranging from central banks, NCA regulators themselves, clearing houses, investment banks, trading venues and hedge funds have found our SFTR course invaluable in fast tracking their in-house projects. The comprehensive course starts at the beginning from the backdrop and context and takes you right the way through all the steps ending with 10 real life reporting examples. We have training dates throughout August and September and would love to have you on board. Please contact your Regis TR relationship manager to enroll.
0: Thanks to Seb Malik for that. And uh, yes, there are still dates available. Get in touch with your client services representatives and see if you can work those out if you want to. Okay, good. So Kevin, uh, one last question. I mean, you, you're co-chairing obviously the SFTR working group there. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think the outlook is for the fund industry sort of in the sort of the near term, especially with the disruption of Brexit coming too?
2: Uh, I don't think there's a single answer. It really depends on the type of fund that you're in. So some funds, I think, will uh, have some some challenges, definitely. I think, as a general, the fund industry world uh, has been, been challenged because it's not only about fund managers, it's also about the depository bankers, it's also about the transfer agents. Uh, and I think across the chain, uh, there's, there's always some, some room for um, more efficient processing, for, for new product development, uh, I think uh, if if you look at the fund industry as a whole, the the alternative space, so the private equity, real estate, uh, has gone uh, tremendously well uh, in the past couple of years, and and uh, it's uh, it's an industry with with a very bright future, I think. So um, I, I think what's what's important to to keep in mind is that. Uh, there's never a status quo. There will never be a moment whereby uh, someone can just sit down and relax and say, that's it. For the rest of my life, I don't have to to do anything anymore, at least for the rest of the, of the life of the fund. Um, there's always going to be innovations. And what's going to be important is to see how those innovations can be used to develop new products to be more efficient. And to tap into new investment opportunities. I mean, there's uh, a lot of being being done and prepared now, also in Luxembourg, uh, and, and globally around digital assets. Uh, that might be the next big thing that that we go into. Uh, I think there was a, a new law that got published in Luxembourg about ten days ago. Uh, there was a new law last week as well, or at least. Um, Uh, an approval in the U.S. about digital assets custody. So um, very, very exciting things happening there Um, that will also help the industry as a whole to evolve.
0: Kevin Demeyer, co-chair of the SFDR Working Group at Alfie, thank you very much. And before you go, we do have a question that we ask all our guests. Uh, and it's an important question, actually. Uh, we're seeking guidance, obviously, from uh, ESMA and the European Central Bank and the Fed just to make sure that, you know, this is a, a, a legit question, it's compliant. They've all come back and said yes. What is your favourite breakfast choice?
2: My favourite breakfast choice? Uh, I usually eat Cereal with yoghurt.
0: Cereal with yoghurt. So you're in the, um, you're in the Danny uh, Corrigan camp there of uh, enjoying yeah. healthy, slow-release Absolutely. carbs. Good. But now here's a very important one for regulatory reasons. You have to make your own uh, because if someone else makes breakfast for you, apparently that doesn't count, according to uh, Tim Hartley of Duffenfelds. I always
2: make my own.
0: Yes, there you go. You heard it here first. Alfie makes its own breakfast. And that's why it's such a successful uh, industry organisation. <laughs>
2: uh, a, a colleague of mine, uh, when when he admitted to eating unhealthy breakfast, was brought an apple a day by his
0: team. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. An <laughs> apple a day keeps the regulator away. That's well known. And just to be clear, John, you received a lot of uh, uh, positive health advice after people discovered you just had a chocolate bar for breakfast.
1: Uh, I, I would have said I received a few pelters uh, from some of my team. But, uh, yeah, pos- positive, health advice. positive exactly. health
0: advice. It's only because they care about you that they don't think chocolate is a healthy choice uh, for a, a, a high-pressure CEO about to live through the disruption of Brexit. Uh, you need more than just that. And not a full English either, clearly. No irony intended there. If I were you, I'd recommend a continental breakfast. Uh, if, you, if you'll still be able to get those after January Presumably after the Cliff Edge You'll only be able to get Black Pudding So <laughs> <laughs> That
2: would
0: be a bit weird We'll work out something on that Okay, uh, a huge Registry Roundup And thank you, Kevin I do hope you will come back and join us for uh, another episode Maybe we can do an update After uh, Phase 3 of SFTR kicks off To see how things have gone Kevin Demeyer, co-chair at Alfie and uh, well-known in the fund industry. Thank you very much.
2: My pleasure. Thank you for having us.
0: And it's goodbye as well from the virtual studio crew from uh, John Kernan, CEO of Register in the UK and uh, head of product in Europe and also our very own Dr. Evil of Brexit. Thank you, John. Thanks, everybody. And in the meantime, have a good week. Have a safe week. If you're back at work or if you're working from home, do come and find us on LinkedIn and join the conversation uh, around the topics that come up in the clips. And if you'd like to be in the show, do drop us a line. Again, connect with us on LinkedIn and yes, or suggest some topics We're all about engaging with our audience. And until then, we will see you next week on The Roundup. Bye-bye.